Welcome to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast, a show helping you find better ways to live, run, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. The website for the show is paleorunner.org. Follow me on facebook.com slash runpaleo or on Twitter at runpaleo. The sponsor for the show is 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates. It's made from coconut, grass-fed whey protein, and a slow-releasing starch. To get 10% off your order, go to 3Fuel.com and use the promo code 3FOLSON. My guest today is Dr. Ray McClanahan. Dr. Ray practices podiatry at Northwest Foot and Ankle in Portland, Oregon. He's been practicing podiatry for 17 years and has learned that most foot problems can be corrected by restoring natural function. Dr. Ray is an active runner and athlete. In 1999, he finished 14th in the U.S. National Men's Cross Country Championship, and in 2000, he had a near-Olympic trials qualifying time of 13.56 for the 5,000 meters. Dr. Ray, this is your second time on the show. It's great to have you back again. Thanks for having me again, Aaron. Yeah. Dr. Ray, I wanted to have you back on the show because it was so interesting just to hear your perspective on footwear and how we can help the foot uh, function more naturally so as runners we can prevent some of those injuries. So give me a little bit of a background of how you got interested in the foot and becoming a podiatrist in the first place. Yeah, certainly. I think like a lot of sports medicine folks or a lot of medical folks, I had my own fair share of problems early on. I really took a strong interest in running at about age 17. And within that first year of running, I started immediately having knee problems. And at that time, you know, I was doing everything I thought I should do, you know, in terms of stretching and icing and taking anti-inflammatories and so forth. But long and short of it was, you know, it was couple of decades of a mixed variety of different injuries that had me thinking that there there must be a better way. But I think really the crux of it came for me when I developed a condition called overlapping toe, which is a combination of a bunion and a hammer toe. In other words, on both of my feet, my second toe was sitting up on top of my big toe. And this is at a time when not only was I running uh, very competitively, I was also uh, completing a surgical residency. And the the thinking at that time, and, and for some folks still today, is that if you have that deformity, you pretty much are going to need an operation. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of those operations that I was performing for that deformity had us cutting ligaments and tendons and moving bone and so forth. And I really desired a, a different way of going about treating my own foot problem. So this is when I was exposed to Dr. William Rossi. In 1999, he wrote an article in Podiatry Management Magazine that uh, is titled, Why Shoes Make Normal Gait Impossible. And it's on our website for any of our listeners who might like to uh, review that. He also has three other articles on the website. But essentially, Dr. Rossi taught me uh, that probably the most likely reason why I developed the problem and the most likely reason why I would not permanently get better with surgery was because of the shoes that I was wearing. And at this time, I was also uh, exposed to a literature article that said that 90% of all Americans wear their shoes too small. So I kind of went through a revolution of sorts in my own body and in my own thinking, and I realized I was wearing my shoes way too small. I was wearing size 9, and I now wear a size 12. But not only that, more importantly, what I learned from Dr. Rossi was that my shoes weren't even shaped like my foot was supposed to be if I wanted to be a good runner. And Dr. Rossi profiled some of the African populations who have done so well in in long-distance running. And so I essentially bought one of these little silicone toe spacers and put it between my big toe and my second toe, 
while I simultaneously started changing my footwear, bigger, bigger shoes and bigger shoes. And uh, what I found was that over time with the silicone and with some stretching, my big toe, my second toe started getting straighter. Mm-hmm. And so I started telling my patient population about that, who was mostly runners, and a lot of them had the same problems that I had. And so we basically embarked upon this kind of a, a skunk works uh, research project here at Northwest Foot and Ankle. And essentially, although we didn't really have the good footwear to work with at the time that we do now, and we also didn't have correct toes, we at least had kind of a rudimentary way of addressing some of our foot problems. And uh, so that's how I originally got interested in it. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's a great story. You know, Dr. Rossi, I, when I was dealing with some injuries in uh, high school, I came across some of his articles online, and it just made so much sense. He was talking about how just a normal shoe, which we think or we think of as a normal shoe, really has a lot of modifications in it that make normal gait impossible. And I, I was just, that made so much sense to me. But at the time, uh, in the early 2000s, there weren't a lot of footwear that really had the shape of a foot. I mean, now we have a lot of more choices as far as minimal footwear and more natural footwear, but it's taken a while for that to come around. Um, why, why is it such a revolutionary concept for companies like Ultra to make a shoe that's actually shaped like a foot, like Ultra or even Vibram Five Fingers? You know, you wouldn't think that it would be, and like you said, Aaron, when I read Dr. Rossi's work, I said not only to myself, but to anybody I could share it with, how would this not make complete sense? And so the answer to your question was, uh, my answer to your question is, yeah, it's, it's, it's strange to me that such a straightforward concept was not embraced until recently. And even now, a lot of the companies still, you know, they, they kind of will nod their head as to having an appreciation for it. But it's still kind of a foreign concept, mm-hmm. which is, is rather unfortunate, you know, if you're an athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what what have your colleagues said as you've embraced this kind of approach? You know, as I've struggled with, with different injuries, I would uh, go online and search for solutions. And a, a lot of times I would come across podiatry forums where I would see podiatrists arguing back and forth about whether minimal footwear was just the worst thing or whether it actually had some merit. I mean, what are your colleagues in podiatry? Do they think you're crazy? Well, many of them do, I think. In fact, it's it's a good discussion to have because what I try to get them to think about more importantly than whether the shoe is minimal or whether the shoe is maximal is I try to get everybody to think about is it shaped like your foot, natural foot should be. Mm-hmm. And that rather that is a rather foreign concept in podiatry. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we've had relationships in podiatry with footwork companies for years and and you know human nature a lot of times we kind of get used to doing things in a certain fashion and we just kind of accept that um so yeah i think i I'd, I'd have to say most of them don't necessarily agree with with our approach but but that's okay with me because as i share with them and anybody else who will listen it's really not my approach it's really it's really our own anatomy and physiology that we're that we're talking about mhm yeah that's a good point you know i've had daniel lieberman on the show who's big into barefoot running and his newest book, uh, The Story of the Human Body, kind of takes this evolutionary approach to health and wellness. Have you seen, uh, since you've kind of taken a different approach to podiatry, that it has bled over into other areas of health and wellness in your life? Oh, absolutely. In fact, that's one of the things I really appreciated briefly in our last discussion was just talking about how my diet has changed and many, many things. I think footwear and my foot strength has changed, but just my overall approach to life and trying to live it more minimally 
and more meaningfully. And uh, I think recently for myself and my family, one of our more profound revelations has been changing to more of a paleo diet, you know, mm. in terms of eliminating a lot of the sugars and the carbohydrates. And it's been nothing short of, I don't want to use the word miracle, but we've really, we've really benefited. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Um, I, I think a listener on our last show commented that you looked a little pale in one of the pictures, and I think it was just <laughs> actually overexposed. But what are some of those changes? Uh, are you getting out in the sun more, or has that always been a part of your lifestyle? What, other, what are some of those healthy foods that you're including in your lifestyle now? Yeah, I, 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 was, I was raised by a family that largely lived paleo, and so I've always been one that wanted to go out and, hunter and, and gather, hunt and gather my own. So um, I, I really enjoy venison, and I enjoy elk. And uh, I've got two young daughters, so we've set up kind of a mini farm in the backyard. We've got chickens, and so we eat our own chickens' eggs. And, um, yeah, and just ma- mostly eliminating some of the things that I would have. For instance, this morning I, I had a, a Starbucks coffee, and I generally don't have a Starbucks coffee, and I generally don't have a sweetened coffee. And what I found is now that I've really eliminated a lot of that, from my diet, it just it just tasted rather unusual to me, and not even not even desirable. Mm-hmm. And have your kids and family been on board with you as well? For the most part, we're we're like a lot of folks. I wouldn't say that we're hundred percent, but we're definitely moving in that direction. My kids still have some candy once in a while, and more than I would want them to probably. But for the most part, um, part of it was a conscious choice. Part of it was also. A recommendation by our naturopath. Um, several of my family members had some food sensitivities or food allergies, which made adoption of the paleo lifestyle just a kind of a natural progression for us. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great to hear that you're on board with the paleo diet. I, uh, it's always fun to hear how looking at life naturally in one area then tends to make you think about it different in other areas as well. Indeed. Let's let's talk a little bit about what is actually wrong with footwear. Last time you were on the show. You mentioned things like toe spring, a raised heel, and a cramped toe box. Are are those still the major problems that you see with footwear? I think they are, and there's one other that's coming to light, too, and that's the torsional rigidity. In other words, podiatry has taught for probably 15 to 20 years now that you don't want your shoe to bend in the middle. And uh, so that's the fourth one, but let's just kind of chronicle a few of those, and, and most of what I'm going to share with you is in Dr. Rossi's article, so folks want to get a a pictorial view of that as well as a more detailed description of that they could certainly go to the site but let's focus on heel elevation to begin with Um, and there's also another article on our website where the researchers took two groups of women and they had the first group wear a two-inch heel for a prolonged period of time and the second group wore a flat shoe and then they did some MRI evaluations of their calf muscles and their Achilles tendons and found that the gals that wore the elevated heel shoes had a 13% shortening of their Achilles tendon. Mm. And foot and ankle health is largely dependent upon having a compliant, flexible ankle. In fact, one of the things that you really, really need to have good running gait or even good walking gait is sufficient ankle dorsiflexion. In other words, your toes need to be able to come up towards your ankle. We, We believe probably 10 degrees beyond 90. Mm. And unfortunately, as people start to wear elevated heels, and it's not just the gals, it's, it's everybody in our culture, and it starts, you know, it starts at age two or three for most people, we begin this process of shortening those lower leg muscles. 
and that does a whole bunch of negative things to the foot and the ankle. Um, it overloads the front of the foot. It causes the foot to try to flatten out its own arch to try to get some of the dorsiflexion. So that was negative number one. And the reason why I like Dr. Rossi and his articles is he, he really made good use of pictures and photographs. Mm-hmm. And the one that really caught my attention is on the front page of that article, Why Shoes Make Normal Gait Impossible. You, you'll recall it shows the the women, woman standing there on bare feet, then they put a one-inch heel on her, then they put a two- and then a three-inch heel. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the, the focus there that Dr. Rossi pointed out so well is we don't allow the heel to rigidly change our body column. In other words, we wouldn't walk with our face closer to the ground, so we make some changes in our body, and, and those changes are not positive. And those changes are also not just at the level of our ankle and Achilles tendon. When you start coupling some of Dr. Rossi's work with some of the work right now as to how harmful it is to sit mm-hmm. for prolonged periods of time. We, we basically create these dysfunctions in our body that don't happen immediately, which is why I think people don't really appreciate them. Um, so that's, that's negative number one. You want to try to keep your calf muscle and your Achilles tendon full length. And it's ironic to me, for years, runners would get Achilles tendon problems and so forth, and what would we do? We'd send them to therapy or we'd tell them to do their runner stretch. Right. But that's quite interesting when you consider that if they're doing their runner stretch for 30 minutes, but they're wearing their elevated heel shoe for an hour, they're still going in reverse. Yeah. You know, they're still not gaining anything. So I read a great study out of Scandinavia many years ago about how they were treating their runner's Achilles tendons by doing what are called eccentric heel drops. Mm. And it's a very popular method still used today. But what I realized was the maneuver and the position that got the runners well was actually uh, requiring them to have a lot of ankle dorsiflexion. So immediately, it didn't make sense to me to have runners run in elevated heels, then go do their eccentric heel drops. So basically, that was the the best time to start recommending people get the heel off their shoe, and then they don't have to go do their heel drops. Mm-hmm. And they probably also won't develop Achilles tendonitis. So that's a biggie, and that's for all of us, too. And In fact, a couple times a, a week, one of my female patients will say to me, I don't understand how this happened because I've never really worn high-heeled shoes. And that's when I explain to them that you really don't have to wear the stiletto heel that everybody thinks is so bad to develop foot problems. All you have to do is put on a shoe. And uh, I reviewed a research paper yesterday that suggested any kind of a heel, and it doesn't have to be three inches. It could be a half of an inch heel, which who of us hasn't had that on our foot for decades? Right. You know, still contributing. So, yeah, we want to try to, you know, when I was first learning about this, I basically adopted Dr. Rossi's term, and I, I described a flat shoe, but as you well know, the industry term these days that's favorable is zero drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I definitely think that that is a huge thing for people to be looking for, and it's becoming a little bit easier to find these days. Mm-hmm. Um, the second most common thing I think that I'd like to speak on was what really kind of took me out of the game. It's the tapering toe box. Right. And for folks uh, who are listening who aren't familiar with what that is, that's basically the shape of the toe box of the shoe. And what's interesting about this, and the first time I learned about it, again, was from Dr. Rossi, and I want to point out that I think it's rather unusual that I went clear through podiatric curriculum and never was exposed to any of these concepts. Yeah, that seems kind of strange to me. I mean, it it seems like the the human foot is an anatomical structure that has evolved over millions of years, 
yet we, we think that we're so smart that we need to help it, help it along and build it up and put arch support under it. Why do you yeah. think it was that you, you didn't uh, come across that kind of perspective? Well, I, I think I've come to a fairly clear reasoning why that was. I've, I've given that a lot of thought. I get asked that quite frequently. How is it that podiatry doesn't teach these concepts? Ever since I became a podiatrist, the feeling within the podiatry community, which is a very small independent medical community, was that we wanted to achieve parity with with allopathic medicine. And so, in other words, for the audience members who aren't familiar with what that means, that, that's your MD degree. That's your medical doctor. Mm-hmm. And I recently read a wonderful book that I might encourage you to read and our readers to read called A Beautiful Medicine okay. by David Mercier. And what I like about that book and why it pertains to this discussion point here is he delineates the three types of medical care that get provided to us in America. And the first kind is controlling. And that is if you get in a motor vehicle accident, the ambulance comes and they, you know, do whatever they need to do to keep you alive. The second um, he called substitutive, which is the current method of allopathic medicine in America, where we, we offer something to reduce symptoms rather than something to provide the body's ability to cure itself. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is what David calls catalytic, which is how do you empower people to understand that their bodies have the ability to heal themselves naturally if they have the information. Right. So the long-winded answer is podiatry has always aspired to be symptom reducers as opposed to natural in any way. So as I've realized that over the years, I've sort of realized that maybe I'm the one that is out of turn trying to get them to change when that's not their intention. They're, I don't think they're intending to ever be naturopathic providers of foot care, um, which saddens me because if they, if, if podiatry could do not only the kind of work that I do, but the kind of work that they're capable of doing now, it, it's a win-win. Right. But for some reason, it's been looked at as it's either orthotics and surgery, or you tried some kind of a natural approach, and they, they can work fantastically well together. Mm-hmm. Uh, another point I wanted to get to that I think uh, we were going towards was this idea of foot-toe uh, splay, and, and that actually doesn't happen in, in a lot of the shoes that we wear because the toe boxes are so small. And you've come up with a product that helps us, if we've been in a cramped shoe for a long time, to get that natural toe splay that we had when we were young, where the toes are more... Um, I don't know, you can tell me more about it, but in uh, primitive cultures, their toes are actually splayed out slightly. Um, tell me why that's so important in, in this product called Correct Toes, how you, how you came up with that. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's really a remarkable thing to consider that we don't really, we don't truly observe what our feet are doing day to day because they're inside of a shoe. And we've been conditioned to believe that we need a, a number and a letter that corresponds to the shoe. But people really don't know how their toes and how their bones are positioned. If they did, they would be much, much more concerned. In fact, the reason, uh, or one of the one of the recent things I think has been done to help people understand this is somebody took a picture of an army soldier in or an X-ray picture inside of their army boot. And it basically showed how the boot was, you know, squeezing the toes and kind of crippling the foot. Um, so I think one thing is we don't see what our feet are like. I think the other thing is we don't appreciate that the shape of foot that we're born with is truly the shape of foot we should maintain throughout our lives. And the only thing that takes that away is not our heredity 
uh, it actually is the tapered shape of the toe box. So whenever I start a discussion with a person who is brand new to me, I always bring out my, my daughter's footprints. I've got two young daughters, and I show the baby foot. And I challenge them to see if they can locate their own birth certificate or, or conceptualize the idea that that's how the foot is designed. And then I follow that up with pictures from around the world of adult feet who have never had on conventional footwear that maintain that same shape. And a good picture that has kind of been floating around is this picture where apparently there's still a few tribes down in South America that are really remote, don't have a lot of access to outside uh Influences and apparently somebody flew over with a helicopter and captured a picture of this family and it's got the whole you know the whole spectrum it's got the children it's got the mom and the dad and what's really compelling is to notice that the entire family has that natural foot shape and indeed the older adults you can see there's a large gap between the great toe and the second toe mm-hmm. and lest any of our audience members think that this is just their genetic makeup that is the human that is the human form and if there were one thing that we that we do to ourselves that's just such a disservice especially for the reasons we do it is by incorporating fashion features into all of our footwear mm-hmm so since my big toe is sitting on top of my second toe and these silicone uh, pieces I was putting in there were kind of sliding around and it wasn't an ideal system, I got together with a designer and I said, can we make a one-piece product that puts the adult human foot back into that natural foot state it's designed, designed to have? And he said, sure, I can do that. And so he mocked up a prototype and that was back in... Oh, 2000 probably. And since that time, we've just been telling anybody who is open to listen. And I kind of made the first mistake of thinking I was going to change the minds of the entire podiatric community. <laughs> and uh, I spent many years sending the product out and encouraging people to try it. And what I discovered is since the podiatric community is largely allopathic in their thinking, I had to find my audience in other kinds of practitioners who think naturally, and I found boatloads of them. They're all over in the naturopathic community, in the chiropractic community, in the physical medicine community. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been able to make many, many good partners you know, in the last probably three to four years, and uh, it's been so gratifying to see what people can achieve with their own feet just for the piece of silicone and some good shoes. Mm-hmm. Now, the only problem I would say with this uh, product, it's not really a problem, but it, it requires you to actually be in a shoe that has a foot-shaped toe box. Like uh, there's a company, a running shoe company called Ultra that makes a toe box that is more shaped like a foot. And it, if you just take this and put it in your normal running shoe, it might not work. You might actually have to, it kind of forces you to find a shoe that is more natural shaped. Um, what has your feedback been like with finding shoes that will work with your product to help that natural foot shape? I'd say that that's been our biggest obstacle all along. In fact, for years when we would present the product to patients and didn't have the shoe to correspond to it, they would say to us, how in the world can what you just told me be correct if Nike isn't making shoes like this and Adidas isn't making shoes like this and Brooks isn't making shoes like this? Um, so early on, our biggest obstacle was just that. People couldn't wrap their brain around the idea that nobody would make a shoe that was shaped like this foot, so something wasn't right. Um, 
eventually what happened is groups like Altra did come along, but for the longest time, we really just did what we call shoe surgery. Mm. We basically converted a, a shoe into the shape we needed it to be by relacing it, cutting it, removing the sock liner. But now we are so fortunate and grateful for our partners like Altra and like Lems and you know some of the others, uh, OS shoes, O-E-S-H for women. Um, so more and more companies are coming out all the time that, that respect the fact that at least when we're exercising, our, our toes should be spread widest at the ends of the toes and not at the ball of the foot. Mm-hmm. You know, one shoe that I've been able to fit this in is just my daily shoe is a Croc. Um, what do you think about Crocs? Do they have too much uh, heel lift or are those acceptable? Well, the early models are excellent. In fact, uh, when we first started using them, people did think that we had a screw loose, but what we started using them for was they really were foot-shaped. They were zero drop. They were flexible. They were light. Um, They still have some of their original models, but Crocs has since been sold, and they've done what so many shoe companies have done. They are no longer true to their original design. Many of their shoes now have pointed toe boxes and Mm -hmm. uh, heel elevation and um, so I still like some of their older origin, their old stuff, but um, these days with Ultra and Lambs and some of the other shoe companies, some of the New Balance models are a little bit wider. We really don't find any need to encourage people to run in Crocs anymore or hike in Crocs. Certainly, we think it's still a good shoe to you know to cruise around in and so forth. But as far as athletics are concerned, we're we're now blessed with those other options. Yeah, yeah. Now. Uh, Dr. Ray, uh, everyone listening, I, I basically have an elite athlete on the phone. So I, I really want to pick your brain a little bit more about how you got to those really fast times in your 5K and what, what did you learn from running at that high level that you might have done differently um, knowing all that you know now? What can you tell us to kind of help some of the listeners out there that are, that are running and trying to achieve some of those fast times? Yeah, well, I'm glad you're asking that, Aaron, because I was just telling my wife last night, somewhat remorsefully, that if there were one big thing I would change, there's certainly lots of small things, but if there were one big thing I would change, it would be the way I eat. Mm. Because I'm I'm 47 now, but the way I feel when I run now with a combination of paleo diet, minimal footwear, actually I want to call it natural footwear because the term minimal is kind of getting confusing, mm-hmm. um, I would... I would wish to be 20 years old again, had the passion that I had, but have good footwear, good coaching, good food, and not take as much medicine as I took. I was always eating Advil and Tylenol and, you know, aspirin or whatever I could do to kind of damp down the pain of what I consider to be, you just have to, you just have to be in pain if you're going to train hard and you're going to be a good athlete. And I don't correspond to that at all anymore. Um, I definitely think you have to be you know, dedicated and you have to try hard and you have to be consistent, but I no longer correlate to or correspond to the idea that you have to basically destroy yourself to become a champion athlete. Mm. Um, so I think diet would be the biggest thing, but I'm constantly telling people, um, if at age 20 I had had natural footwear and I had had a paleo diet, I don't know. It's, it's kind of fun to think about, you know, what, Mm -hmm. what might happen. Um, but I've, I was blessed with good coaching. I've been blessed with good training partners. I, I was told by my, uh, college coach that he does think I have a higher than average work ethic. So, um, it it was, it was great. I wish I could go back, honestly. Mm -hmm. Are you still running today? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I get out at least daily and a lot of days, twice a day. Oh, wow. Um, 
don't carry a clock. I'm, you know, not really competing, although I did run hood to coast with a, a group of local masters guys last year and we won the category. Nice. But, no, I just really enjoy the, I just enjoy the sport. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had Mark Sisson on the show and he's basically a, a paleo or primal advocate. And he, he's uh, also an elite distance runner at one point, And he's advocating now for a lower volume approach to distance running. When you were training at those high levels, do you think you could have got away with doing less? Or is it really required to kind of do those high 100-mile weeks to, to get those uh, elite times? I feel pretty convinced I could have run just as fast or faster on a lot less mileage um, had I known then how to run properly. Um, in fact, I want to shout out to the Chi running people and Danny Dreyer in particular. I credit his movement pattern as well as natural footwear and the paleo diet with, for keeping me going. Um, but yeah, I also recently came across two really nice, neat guys from the East Coast, Drew Seaver and John Mesmer. Um, John wrote strength or core distance training, core distance training for distance runners or something like that. But the point is they have been experimenting with just that concept recently and, and writing about it. Um, not thinking that we have to do these big high mileage weeks, but rather think about more quality. Mm. And, uh, I definitely agree with that. In fact, if, if I were to go back and do it all again, I probably would cut my mileage in half. I probably would focus on, well, these days, I don't think it's just high mileage that makes you a good distance runner. I think a much more varied program of all kinds of things, like um, some yoga. You know, I would focus more on flexibility in certain areas of my body. Um, and again, especially the diet piece. But no, I don't think you have to do high mileage like that. In fact, I kind of wonder nowadays if it doesn't take more people out of the sport before they achieve their, their highest goal, uh, as opposed to creating a lot of success. Gotcha. Well, Dr. Ray, it's been great talking with you today. Can you give our listeners uh, an idea of where they can go to find out more about you and your approach to footwear and to uh, natural foot movement? Certainly. Thanks for that, Aaron. Um, they could go to nwfootankle.com. And, and once again, that's nwfootankle.com. We basically have uh, descriptions of a variety of different foot and ankle ailments that can affect runners. Um, and a lot of good information, particularly the Dr. Rossi article, would be a valuable read for anybody. Um, and if you're in the Portland, Oregon area, more than welcome to come by and visit us. Great. Well, it was great talking with you. Thanks for, so much for being part of the show. Thank you, Aaron. Take good care. Thanks for listening to another Paleo Runner podcast. If you like podcasts, you're also going to like Audible.com. Audible has over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Kindle, Android, or MP3 player. You can even burn a CD of the audiobook if you like. It's a great way to learn while you're driving in the car or cleaning up around the house. One of the great things about Audible is that if you decide that you don't like the book you've downloaded, you can actually exchange it for another one. They want you to be happy with your order. If you'd like to get a free audiobook download, sign up at audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. You'll get a free audiobook download that you can keep regardless of whether you continue with the service or not. So go to audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. Thanks for listening.